0: From the 7.30 The Game studios in Uptown Charlotte,
1: welcome to the Second Yellow Soccer Show. 7.30 The Game, your place for all things Charlotte. Now the host, here's Jason Bailey and Brad Barnett. Welcome to the Second Yellow Soccer Show. I am Jason Bailey, joined by the Senior Director of Youth Development for the United Soccer League, Liam O'Connell. How are you doing today, Liam? Doing good, Jason. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad you can be with me. Can you give us a little bit of a summary of your roles and responsibilities with USL?
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, Really, the role is focused on um, working with each and every professional club primarily. Um, So obviously, under USL, so obviously those would be the clubs in championship and League One, Um, with the ultimate goal being that we want to clearly define what we call youth to pro pathways within each and every community with which we have a professional club or could have a professional club. Um, So happy to go in a little bit more detail as to what that means. Obviously the most forward facing initiative um, that we've put out so far tied to that mission and that those goals would be, um, the launch of that new tier of USL that we're dubbing USL Academy.
1: With this new, you know, youth Academy program that you guys have launched that's the main topic that we want to discuss today. Can you just kind of give us the, the, the 30 second version of what exactly it is and then we'll, we'll dive into, you know, the bits and pieces later. Yeah, of course. Uh,
0: like I said, I think the, the idea is we want if there's a if there 's a talented young player in any of the markets with which we have professional teams and they aspire and dream of someday um, playing professionally, maybe even having that dream of you know being that hometown hero playing in front of their friends and family in the first steps of their pro career we want uh, We want there to be a clearly defined path for the players that that have the ability to to chase that dream um, and and to do that, I think we need to. Uh, implement the all the all the right programs through the pro club, but honestly, before even taking that step, uh, one of the biggest things that I'm encouraging every one of our clubs to do is is honestly to to engage and support the local youth soccer infrastructure that's more than likely already in that community and also may have even had a a, a longer tenure than some of our USL clubs, obviously, especially some of the newer ones.
1: Okay, and the, the term academy kind of have a, has a d- couple of different definitions. And, yeah, definitely. in U.S. soccer, at least in North Carolina, which I'm you know accustomed with, there's two versions of that. There's the youth academy, which is U10 and, and younger, and there's development academy. But in for Europeans, there's a completely different definition of academy. Right. What do you guys define as academy, or is that a lo- pretty loose term for you? I'd say
0: today it's a looser term than I'd like it to be. Uh it's without a doubt a goal of, of my personally and then of us as a league to uh start to cr- define some clear parameters of what is a a, prof- a pre-professional academy. And I think that 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 piece that I said before is is the is the ultimate definition. So um you're right there's Academy is used for youth programs it's used for programs that lead to pro clubs it's used for programs that are just in the development academy for us it's about uh, a developmental program for elite youth players ultimately with the goal of developing professional players
1: will this usl version of it will it fall under the u.s soccer development academy umbrella or will it be separate from that Honestly, it
0: just it, that—that's a really good question. Uh, I, I'm curious to see how the landscape overall of, of youth soccer in this country evolves, especially over the next six to eighteen months. Um, for for me, I mean, it's at, at this point with with the structure of the landscape, we're without a doubt uh, in, in in close dialogue with U.S. Soccer. Even as recently as a week ago, uh, we were on on a call with a number of their DA staff to already start talking about the 2020-21 application phase, just to ensure that we can uh, guide the clubs of ours that are interested in applying for DA status uh, to give them the best shot of actually reaching that point.
1: There's clubs like North Carolina FC that have, on the boys' side, their top teams are competing in the Development Academy. They're also competing in the ECNL. There's plenty of competitions for them. The USL version of this is just going to fit in alongside of those. It's not trying to replace anything at this point.
0: Yeah. So our, our short-term strategy is for USL Academy Cup to com- to be complementary to the primary competitions that fill our our, our teams' calendars throughout the year. Uh, so uh, you'll you'll I, I kind of like the phrase you used in one of your articles. It's in some ways, at least for possibly the first few years of this competition it's almost going to seem like a, like an open cup type of format, you know, where you can have these Cinderella stories. And I think you used a, a term like a David and Goliath sort of um, connotation. And, and the reality is for part of that is that the um, DA and ECNL haven't yet uh, expanded their footprint to, to even cover every area within which not just we have USL clubs, but certainly within which there are competitive soccer clubs for the youth player.
1: Well, let's cut, you know, right to the heart of the matter. Um, why does USL even feel the need or the desire to launch this type of competition?
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, really, like I said, it's, it's, it's to ultimately create a, a tangible, real platform and event with which we can bring together all of our different programs. Um, you hit the nail on the head with one of the challenges we have as we try to... Um, develop Academy programs at all these clubs is they're all at different timelines. You know, we have clubs that are already in DA producing professional players from San Antonio with Leo Torres, 15 year old signing to a USL professional contract, STLFC that's produced players as, as um, talented as Josh Sargent, who's now in Europe to clubs like Louisville, who while they may have won two championships, they're just now, in the infancy of starting a youth program, a formal youth program. And and some clubs haven't even yet uh, gotten to the point of getting those strategic plans on paper. So while we wanted to bring together sort of the top youth groups and see wh- how they compete against each other, we also wanted to create a platform that others could leverage to grow their own program and build some more equity within their own markets.
1: Yeah. And, you know, not having a youth component kind of hits close to home. The Charlotte independents do not currently have that. Is there incentives or how exactly are you encouraging these youth clubs to go about launching these two, at least these two age groups to get rolling for the next season that you guys yeah. have planned? Yeah.
0: Um Another thing that's, I wish I could say there was a cookie cutter solution to, but there really isn't is not Um for for me, the first thing is to, to to work with the club to assess what I would say is the the current uh, landscape within their market. So, like I said, who are the, the the key youth soccer clubs and organizations and and leaders in youth soccer already in your community? Um, figure out what they're doing within that mission of developing professional players and providing a path to pro soccer. And ultimately, for me, I, I always. I always would encourage our clubs to first and foremost see, is there a way to work together? You know, so if there is a DA club in town, can you work with them? Prime example, Tampa Bay Rowdies. Instead of just launching a DA program and going toe-to-toe with every club in the city, they identified Tampa Bay United, which is in the Development Academy, and they've now created a strategic partnership where they're helping support that club on a number of levels and have now rebranded their DA program, Tampa Bay Rowdies, DA. Uh, The reality is, like, at the end of the day, uh, while that's an amazing solution on paper, it may not work in every other market. Some markets, an affiliate uh, model might be the key to go forward. Um, In my previous role prior to USL, I spent almost seven years working for Sporting KC. And one of my big uh, projects was building that affiliate program that we had, you know, which really extended Sporting's pro player pathway, across nine different Midwestern states where there, isn't, where there wasn't pro soccer. And even many of those states today still don't have pro soccer. So, um, like I said, I think there's going to be a different model for everyone. There may be some clubs that have the, the infrastructure and the resources. Uh, and maybe depending on their market, they may be able to, to pull uh, Atlanta United or, you know, what Inter Miami is about to come out with and do a fully funded program from top to bottom.
1: Now a word from our newest sponsor, the 12th Man Pub, South Charlotte's new home for soccer. Open for all European, North American, and South American games with a full bar, 42 draft beers, plus liquor and wine. Daily lunch and dinner menus with weekend breakfast featuring a full English breakfast with Irish coffee and mimosa specials. Check out their daily food and drink specials while watching all of the games on their 11 TVs. Located at the intersection of Community House and Johnston Road, the 12th Man Pub. We like all sports, we love soccer. To start with, you guys are only doing the U thirteen and U seventeen age groups. Why did you target those two? Yeah, um, so we knew we wanted to, to
0: focus on what we considered one of the key pre professional age groups. Um, we we have a we have a player development subcommittee that that uh, that I help oversee. Um, it involves a number of head coaches, general managers, technical directors, and academy directors from across USL. Um, all varying levels, um, and many of them, like I said, uh, currently running different levels of youth programming in their cities. Uh, and and when we talked about it collectively, we really identified U15 and U17 as the the two key pre professional ages. We decided we were just going to start with one of those um, in the onset. Uh, that U17 group are the ones that also have a regional event. So the the map will be split east and west. There'll be a regional uh, conference event for each side of the country. And then all of those U-17s will come together for a national event. Um, in talking as a group, when uh, we, we felt that there was a, um, a really big opportunity to also uh, leverage our clubs to engage their local youth soccer communities at a younger age as well. Part of that is just get even more kids from younger ages to start to believe in that pro pathway and about chasing it at a younger age. Another factor, just to be frank, is with U.S. soccer dropping the U-12 DA going into next year, um, we knew that there was a number of clubs that are running or are in close proximity to these U-12 DA programs that this year are about to transition to U-13. Um, and we wanted to um, you know, find a way to engage some of those groups as well. Uh, however, to limit on travel costs and demand for, for those younger players and families, were, we're only having them attend that national event.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that was one of my first thoughts when I read the initial article. You know, it's difficult to find a, a map of the three levels of USL that have all these, um, you know, essentially the youth programs, but the yep. travel cost alone, to me, um, seems excessive. But, you know, parents seem to to love that idea of being in a, an elite program, an elite uh, competition. So I can see the selling point. Um, mm-hmm. How do you personally see this youth component kind of evolving over the next two, three, four, five years?
0: Yeah. So um, that's honestly one of the things I'm, I'm most excited about. Uh, I'm in the process and uh, w- w- in, while working with our play development subcommittee, and like I said, a, a number of colleagues in, in our office um, to develop what I'm calling uh, an academy roadmap for for all of our clubs um whether it's pushing the clubs like uh the clubs that i mentioned who are already in da to to be matriculating more players from their academy to their um, professional teams um know encouraging them to sign players at younger and younger ages and hopefully eventually monetize the set, the transfer of those players down the road um that's that's one component but i think. Uh, um, More so than that, it's 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 like I said, creating almost a custom roadmap for every club that that helps them uh, eventually get to the point of what we would call an ideal academy model. Um, And we've kind of, like I said, built out uh, the the age groups that we feel most necessary, um, the programs that we feel should build up to those age groups. um, And we're even working on staffing models um, and financial models that would be associated with that because. We're going to be very aggressive in uh, pushing our clubs uh, and certainly encouraging them to get as close to fully funding uh, as many elements of these programs as they can. Whether that's just paying for the teams to attend the Academy Cup early on or uh, eventually like getting to the point where you're like San Antonio where they have five fully funded Academy teams, um, you know, eliminating that pay to play barrier that has been such a challenge for our country.
1: How do you see that, uh, you know, with San Antonio, they've got the deep pockets of the the Spurs franchise, so they can kind of, you know, they've got a, a nice safety net there. How do you present that to other clubs? I'm thinking of kind of, you know, a Greenville, South Carolina, that yep. they don't have that built-in, you know, big uh, kind of billionaire owner, or and they also don't have that connection to a, a big youth club. So how do you present this, As a potential, you know, it's a long term project, but how do you present them with the opportunity for this to be a fully funded free to play for these elite players? Yeah.
0: Um, Like you said, there's there's no fixed deadline on that Um, and it will be variable by market. Some will get there faster than others. Um, For for me, it's uh, I think the first thing is, is that model that I that I mentioned being a little bit more cost effective. So instead of just coming out of the gate and having a bunch of teams that are fully funded, um, uh, I'm going to encourage that, especially at the younger ages, the, the clubs that don't have the funds to have more than U15 and U17 funded team to, to look at uh, models like regional player pools and um, uh, training, uh, training sites and centers of excellence Um, supplemental to the, the existing club infrastructure, you know, that also will hopefully get more buy-in from those local clubs, because instead of just taking their best player at a young age, you're actually supporting their development and supporting those clubs in driving their development. Um, Again, that already mitigates some of the costs involved in them being a part of your path from an earlier age. Um, I think though, another big piece for me is, uh, taking some of what I learned from my time at Sporting Kansas City so not i to dive too too into the details but uh, at SKC there's actually th- there's two youth departments um, there's one that exists on the technical side the Development Academy there's another that exists on the revenue generating business side if you will um, and it, it, it's, it's unique, but believe it or not, there are, no, there are a lot more clubs than you may think that operate like that, um, where they have a academy department that is seen as just a, a big red mark on the budget. And then you have um, other youth programming. That's just deemed as revenue generating. For me, I'm trying to work with the business executives and ownership groups at all of our clubs to encourage them to, to create uh a singular youth development department that accomplishes both of those goals. So a prime example would be, could you, um, if the club's literally starting from scratch, could they hire, uh, a youth development director that can not only work on building those relationships in their local community and starting to build the foundation for an Academy type program, but also has, uh, potentially, um, some some business implications to the role such as starting a new tournament you know uh that that teams in the local area can participate in that's tied to the pro club's brand or running a series of summer camps um and and that way i think it's 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 a way to present a collective approach to youth development to these ownership groups that says hey um you know there's there will be a cost for you to have this development academy uh to have this academy a pre-professional academy but there uh we can hopefully offset those costs and maybe even make it a cl- a cost neutral proposition by um, bringing in some revenue through other youth programs that also possibly add value and and have some fan development um, components within your local communities um th- the last thing i'll say and like this I don't want to sit on a soapbox and say this is the only way to do it because it's, it, it, it may seem as a pie-in-the-sky thing, but it, it, it's that idea of us truly becoming selling leagues. So, Jason, say, and I know you understand that concept, but it's the idea that can we get to the point where that 15-year-old that San Antonio just signed, Leo Torres, it took them four years from when they identified him at 11 to now when they signed him at 15. They might be able to sell him. Sometime between the age of seventeen and nineteen, depending on how he can uh, continues to progress in his development, and they may actually be able to just like you saw with players like Davies making th- for three million up to alfonso um excuse me um Tyler Adams for three million up to Alfonso Davies for you know thirteen plus million, generate a significant amount of funds that they can then reinvest in long term player development initiatives. Um, so that's the, that's the pie in the sky, uh, is that you have those big windfalls that then put that money in the bank. But I don't think it'd be smart for us in the short term to say that, that, that money is just going to start pouring in and covering the costs of these programs as they're getting off the ground. You know,
1: I want to go back to what you kind of referred to, and it almost sounds like, um, an all-star team approach, like a Greenville FC or, uh, you know, Greenville Triumph is the USL version of that. They don't have a youth program. So instead of them developing from scratch a youth program, you're saying they could, for the purposes of the first year competition that you have, they could essentially form an all-star team and say, not necessarily just the players from Greenville, but from surrounding areas, let's all come together you know, and play in this one particular tournament. Is that a possibility? thousand percent.
0: And you, it's funny you actually hit the nail on the head. That is exactly the the plan that John Harks and I have discussed for Greenville for year one. Um, gotcha. You know, because you know the we it's it's a model that works. So like at Sporting Kansas City, this um, I was there recently this as this past fall, we ran what we called a regional player pool. We had our affiliates recommend their the top U twelve players from literally nine different states. Some of these kids drove. I'm not crazy. I'm not lying. Like six seven hours one way once a month for our regional uh, player pool training we then by working with those kids on the field and evaluating them and discussing their development back at home with their directors were able to identify the top um 10 to 12 players and they got invited to go to ga cup so not a lot of people knew but like at this past ga cup in atlanta in november there was a there was a two sporting KC teams. One was their U 12 Academy team of full-time local players. One was made up of kid, a group of kids from Omaha and Wichita and St. Louis and Springfield, Missouri. And for that weekend, they got the rock sporting KC jerseys. Almost like it was like they were uh, called in for the national team.
1: You know what I mean? Very cool. Yeah. One of our listeners is a big sporting fan. So he's, he's loving every bit. You can drop their name. So the other thing you mentioned is essentially, I mean, it it is very common in youth soccer that, you know, the 90% are paying for the 10%. Um, And what I mean by that is the scholarships kids, Mm -hmm. um, which one of the biggest problems with youth soccer in America is the cost. So anytime you can develop a scholarship program and, get 20, 30 percent of your players into that, you're just going to be a better club. So, you know, when you're talking about that, you know, one side kind of subsidizing or even paying for the other side, that's completely in line with what's already going on. So that's nothing new to the landscape. But the last point you kind of brought up is selling the youth, which is um, there's this idea that the MLS Development Academy clubs are attempting to kind of break away from the rest of the U.S. Soccer Development Academy because they want to own that ability to sign kids and sell them on. A great example is the young man Chris Richards, who went to FC Dallas, and because of certain rules and regulations, he actually couldn't um, represent them. So he actually went on loan to Bayern Munich, impressed enough that they ended up signing him. He barely played for the actual FC Dallas youth sides. And FC Dallas is the one who is reaping the financial gain from that, whereas he grew up in Alabama and those youth programs are not seeing. I don't know if any money from that or any financial gain, but in the rest of the world, they would be the ones basically benefiting the most from that. So it sounds like USL is saying, we see what's happening. We see what MLS is doing. We want to circumvent that. We don't want that kid in San Antonio, Leaving, going down the road and joining that MLS Development Academy, we want to have a position for him, and I think that's admirable because at the end of the day, um, this is a path for them to truly go after that pro contract. So I'm all for that. I think that's a fantastic idea, and you know, if you can get there, and it's you know, it'll take some years, but if y'all can get there, I think that's going to be fantastic. So, the um the last thing is kind of an elephant in the room is USL is a men's only organization from, you know, the playing side. Correct. Is there any talk, any chatter at all about how we can or how you can incorporate any of the young ladies, women's programs into USL? Yeah,
0: of course. Um, look, the the reality is like, that's long-term, of course usl love to support the idea of 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 helping build youth the pro paths for the female side of the game as well um i guess the way i would frame it is uh look at the look at the role that i was just able to take on at usl even as recently as five years ago certainly as recently as even 10 years ago there was zero chance of this role ever existing there was zero chance of MLS, let alone USL, ever talking about having the financial backing and sustainability to not only have the academy programs we have today, but actually be bullish enough to talk about running their own nationwide academy leagues, independent of anyone else. The The growth of the pro game on the men's side has created the opportunity for us to, to be far more deliberate in in building these academies and these pre-professional models. And so for me, I think that's the key to us being able to be in the same position to, to build a like for like program on the men's side is we need the, we need to see that that same level of growth and more importantly, sustainability in, on the women's pro side as well. You know, and at the end of the day, just like we needed people to come out and actually support lower league soccer for the, the USL, um, uh, the visions on uh of American soccer the only way to for, for us to get to this point was for people to come out and support it. So really if we want to see these paths open up on the female side as well, we gotta do the same and, and get out and support NWSL and WPSL, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah I'm I'm excited. Uh this has been a great conversation. Um I think that's that's all I have left. Any final words
0: No of course not I'll just say watch this space. Um we're we're incredibly excited to to work with as many groups as possible. If, if anyone hears this and wants to know more about the opportunity or the best, the best way to get um, involved in the, the new or old USL club in the uh, closest to their club, please uh, feel free to reach out. And I'm, I'm more than happy to help make that introduction and hopefully drive, uh, drive some synergy.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time today, Liam. Uh, you can find this podcast on ESPNCharlotte.net and anywhere you get your podcast from. And as Brad loves to say, No matter who you support, let's work together to grow the game.